Jesus said, love me, love your neighbor. Sounds like a legacy life to me. Thank you for joining me. Hi, today I get to introduce you to my new friend, Haley Wood. She lives in Oklahoma, I believe. Is that right, Haley? That's correct. Mother of, a mother of two boys, uh, husband of one. That's good. And she is a certified uh, life and relationship coach, which I thought was an interesting little tagline. And I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. She's also a Bible teacher and a mentor, which I love. You know, I don't know if you know, I wrote a book on mentoring. And I think as believers, we just should always be passing on what God's given us, you know, whoever is the person in the room or the person maybe a couple steps behind. Um, And you have a cute photo on your website. And I was going to ask you, is that you running or jogging? (laughs) Or is that a stock? Yeah, there it is. It's it a is stock not photo. Uh, me funny, <laughs> but my friend who developed my logo for me, she yeah. did pick that picture because she thought it looked like me running. And I do love to run. I'm oh. not a runner though. There's a difference between a runner and someone like me who runs. <laughs> wow, I've never heard. Well, anyway, I didn't even say that what it was called. Your um, website is Run the Race Together, which I think is a perfect name for any coach because that's what a coach does they they uh sometimes they run with you it was so funny my middle daughter ran the la marathon and so we all came and her older sister surprised her from san francisco so when she saw her she was so excited so the older sister bonnie started running with her and ran like maybe a half a mile and goes oh I work so hard. I thought, you know, her, her middle sister's like dying on the road because it's LA. But anyway, all that to say, it's not your photo, but it looks like you. And that's what made me want to ask the question. You um, say that you are a former chemical engineer and you worked in the oil industry over 15 years. Was that because you were from Texas? Uh, no, I became oh. an engineer because I had a science teacher that was like, oh, you're good at math and science. You should be an engineer. So wow. I just went with it. And yeah. was right. it was a great fit for me. I love yeah. it. And well, I- it's a huge jump in my mind. My dad was an engineer, electrical engineer. My husband would be a mechanical engineer if he weren't a doctor. I didn't get any of those brain cells. And so, but I'm very relationship oriented. So I'm curious what made the switch from being a chemical engineer as a profession that you enjoyed to now a certified life and relationship coach. Tell me the job. That is a fantastic question. And ultimately it started many years before I made the switch. I made the switch. I think I got my certification in 2018. Don't let me lie to you. You'd think I would remember those sorts of things, but uh, many, many years ago, just because of my trauma and, and my history and my background, I actually pursued going to Celebrate Recovery. I don't know if you're familiar with Celebrate mm-hmm. Recovery. It's alive and well in California for sure. Yep. And Celebrate Recovery was so meaningful to me. I, it was just so helpful to me. I had never talked about my trauma openly, and it was just such a good, safe place for me to do that. And my husband actually came alongside me because if I'm going through trauma, he ultimately was feeling some of the effects of that as well. And so we got very involved in Celebrate Recovery and eventually became ministry leaders of a Celebrate Mm -hmm. Recovery. And we did that um, for well over a decade. And as a part of that, I mean, we just, so many people poured into us, but we really learned the benefits of authentic community, Mm -hmm. of us pouring into others and others pouring into us. And And so in 2015, I went ahead and took a break from my career 
as a chemical engineer uh, because we grew our family through adoption and our son uh, was three and there were just some things that needed to change in our family in order for this to be a healthy, thriving place. And so I decided to take a break from my career in order to focus on that and for us to readjust. And what ultimately ended up happening is uh, I also stopped uh, being the ministry leader of Celebrate Recovery at that time, but I kept mentoring and I kept investing in people and I kept coming up with resources. And my husband, <laughs> who is a licensed professional counselor, he grabs me by the shoulders and looks me in the eye and he's like, sweetheart, you need to do something with this. Yeah. <laughs> and so I always believed I was going to go back to engineering because I loved it. I never left because I didn't like it. And honestly, I even relationally loved what was out there. I mean, so many of us that were working out there were very much like family and we spent a lot of hours together and things <laughs> like that. But, you know, it just made sense to me when my husband said that. I'm like, I don't think I can leave this behind. And I was really at a place where I felt like God was saying either or. Oh, you can't really do both. Uh, financially, especially at that time, it would have yeah. behooved me to go back to engineering. Of course. But it was just, it was such a, a, a natural transition for me to go into that role. So getting the certification was really good because it put a few more nuts and bolts, you know, into it for me. Um, I think it probably increased other people's confidence in choosing me as a coach. But ultimately, it was just such an extension of some of the things that I was already doing on the side. So mm -hmm. I still really like math and science, though. So every once in a while, you'll still see me nerding out in a variety of ways. <laughs> My oldest is a English was an English major. And so when her young, her younger sisters were doing math, she would call them and do math with them over the phone because she missed it. <laughs> I miss math. I go, why didn't you major? I like English too much. Well, um, I what, all the time. please, go. please tell me you're having problems with, with math. Like I just <laughs> want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, sweet. Uh, that could be another side gig you have is math tutoring. Um, in one sentence, describe what your coaching offers. Predominantly, I walk alongside those who are rebuilding their lives after loss and trauma. Mm, that's wonderful. But it often entails so many other things where people are feeling stuck and um, are just ready to grow and try new things and discover a lot of things about themselves and about this life. Uh, you describe yourself as someone who loves storytelling and that you're a talker. I can relate to both. But what do you see? Do you see that there's a difference between someone who is talkative and someone who tells stories? Mm, what a great question. My biggest challenge is listening, mm. right? Because I can be talkative and I can be a storyteller. I was diagnosed with ADHD late in life um, and it was no surprise to me or anyone else. <laughs> like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but even with that, uh, it the skill of listening should be above all of those things. But storytelling is so important 
because it does give us an opportunity to share our lives and our experiences. And it allows us, I mean, think about Jesus mm-hmm. and how he related with parables and stories. I mean, we remember things so much better yep. when you relate it with a story. Right. And I love storytelling. My dad was a storyteller and and I feel like it's just kind of a trait that I get to carry on for him. And it's just a lot of fun to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And so that is the difference to be talkative. I, look, I'm not even putting down being talkative because sometimes it's important for us to be talkative because we're like processing, processing. externally and mm-hmm. things like that. So there's value in that too. But right. I believe that storytelling is really for the value of the listener and not so much for us necessarily. Mm-hmm. Though I Oh, I do love it, don't you? I do enjoy it. Yeah, Yeah, I think all of us more children, I'm a family, a large family, and we all love to tell stories, but sometimes people's eyes can glaze over. So we have to, uh, and someone brought up the other day in another group I was in that listening really is the better part of hospitality. So to ask a good question is to welcome somebody into your life because you're saying that you're honoring them to tell their story and some will not tell their story until we shut up finally, because they are so they'd rather, in fact, my husband's extreme introvert and he prefers, he knows how to ask questions because he prefers to be the listener. But every time we're together, like if the girls are introducing a new boyfriend or something, they'll say, dad, tell the story when, and he goes, okay. So (laughs) it's good for either. Now you have a Facebook group called the simple marriage. And I was struck by that. Is there anything simple about marriage? Well, so Ron and I, my husband and I, we lead this group together. And like I said, he's a licensed professional counselor and and we actually serve couples together. So I do individual, you know, coaching, but together he and I coach together. And that's a lot of fun with couples. Love that. But kind of our tagline is that, you know, that marriage becomes simpler whenever we use some some principles and especially godly principles and, and some tactics that help carry us along. I hear people say all the time, we got to work so hard at marriage. Marriage is so tough. And I'm not going to lie and say that there aren't difficult aspects of marriage, but there are just some real, you know what? Singleness requires intentionality and work. To be divorced requires intentionality and work. If we are going to live a life that is filling and satisfied, like kind of every season of life in every circumstance requires intentionality and work. And so marriage is really no different in that way. We're not going to be any more or less satisfied in life just because we are married or because we're single. Right. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, if you are married, how can we do this and do this well and do it in such a way that it's a blessing to you and I, and, and we are grateful for the entirety of our marriage and life that, um, this is the journey that we're on. And so Ron and I are a trip together because he is definitely (laughs) a straight man. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I do thumbnails of our, of our Facebook lives. And usually it entails maybe 50 different, uh, facial expressions from me. And he's got one facial expression during the entire, uh, training that we do. So we do trainings 
once a month on our, our Facebook group. And it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of interaction and just a lot of neat things happen in our, our group. So well, I can imagine the married people listening today would say, boy, I would really like to know all those points, but can you just whet their appetite with one short point that you say that makes marriage simpler? What makes marriage simpler? Listening. <laughs> there we go. You know, the number one, the number one thing that people come to us you know, to talk about is communication tactics. And the first thing when we bring clients on board, we hit communication right off the bat because we want them to be able to use those skills during all of our sessions together. But the very first lesson that we teach is about listening. And we have a technique that, that we do go through to teach people how to listen effectively. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important skill. Oh, that's so great. Well, I bet you'll get a lot more people sign up for your (laughs) Facebook group as a result. Uh, Haley, you describe yourself as one who is seriously in love with Jesus and that you can't believe he has um, somehow changed your brokenness, your loss and your trauma into something beautiful and beneficial. Can you tell us a little bit of your story? Mm. Yeah. So, so I kind of have like these two segments of life uh, where I experienced pretty significant amounts of loss and trauma. <laughs> the first was when I was a teenager, there was an older boy. He was a boy. He was not a man, but I was 12 years old and he was right of, of age um, and he groomed me and eventually became a very abusive relationship. And I was, I was kind of under his umbrella for a number of years. What do you mean groomed? Well, he essentially, initially, what he did is he just poured, poured, poured into me. And I was enamored with him. He was in high school. He was the high school quarterback. He was wow guy that everybody wanted, but I was in sixth grade. And where, you know, were your, where were your parents during this? Time? They were there and they were appalled. And, you know, I look at how my parents responded and there might've been some different things I would have done than they did. But ultimately this young man was a manipulator and abuser. And what he did is he did things to try to isolate me from the people who loved and cared for me. And so I did a lot of things to break their trust. And, you know, it created a lot of disconnect uh, between myself, my parents, my siblings, my good friends, things like that. And as I got a little further into the relationship, once I was very googly eyed with him, despite everyone's disapproval, uh, that's when I really, he, he really shifted who he was in front of me. And I found that he was a very dangerous young man. He was involved um, with people that I would have never chosen to be involved with. He carried a gun. I saw him put guns up to people's heads for trying to talk to me, you know, things like that. And um, ultimately what he ended up telling me was that if I left him, he would kill my family. Oh my. And so it, it became a very controlling environment for me. And so I felt like I was protecting my family by staying with him and he was sexually abusive during that, you know, he would catch me out and about when I was by myself or he would, you know, it, it, it's a pretty convoluted story. I'm happy to share it, but I don't want to take up all of our time with that. And, and I have some links to some different times that I've had chances to share this because I do think it's important for people to understand, you know, how some of those things can happen and come about. 
you know, because for years I did not even see it as abuse. I, because of things he said to me, I just saw it as I was a trashy young girl. It was all my fault. But at 14, I became pregnant by him. And my, my mom had me get an abortion. So lots of trauma surrounding that. And a month after my abortion, my best friend was out on a school trip and there was a a car accident during that trip and she died. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot happening for a 14 year old girl freshman in high school and my abuser actually kept essentially whispering in my ear, she died because you killed my baby. She died because you killed my baby. And why wasn't he arrested? Because I didn't see it as abuse. Nobody saw it as abuse. Nobody asked me if it was abuse. But you're underage and he's older. Well, but he wasn't. He was of a, he was at that point, he was 18. So he was, he was four years older than me, which as an adult, you know, it's like no big deal. And even, you know, and, and look, I know that there are many people around that age that have some older relationships and things like that. Um, it, this was not okay. He was very mature for his age. He had been, and you know what? I have a great deal of empathy even for this, this man, the, the background that he came from was a very harsh environment. Uh, He had not been treated well, but he had been exposed to a lot of things in life that Mm -hmm. I had not been exposed to. And he used that um, because he was way more street smart you know, mm-hmm. than I was. And he really used that against me to manipulate me and control me and, and things like that. And so as an adult, even for years, I thought, oh, I could have gotten out of that. And, you know, now as I've gotten older, I just realized I was a kid I, I, and the trauma that it, it, the ways that it affected me to be able to have intimate and close relationships for years was very traumatic. I of did course. not see myself in a way that God saw me or created me. And um, yeah, so a lot of healing has taken place from that. And it took a lot of years for me to even understand the depth of it. Mm. So that was kind of my first round of, you know, trauma and loss was, was experiencing that. And then fast forward, even when we were a part of Celebrate Recovery and, and you know, doing a lot of our ministry in 2000, sorry, That's your dog. somebody at the door. <laughs> <laughs> in 2000, if you fast forward to 2011, Ron and I were ministry leaders of Celebrate Recovery. We had our four-year-old son, Reese, at that point. Honestly, I would call it kind of just a very glamorous time of my life. Like and I wait, was, was Reese adopted. No, Reese's oh. biological son. Okay. And uh, just really a very glamorous part of life. You know, I was just feeling God to the fullest. Um, ministry was going great. Work was going great. I had uh, the position I had always dreamed of, you know, those sorts of things. And I was, I was at full term in our next pregnancy. We were expecting our little boy, Elliot. And when he was born, he was still born. And so it really kind of pulled the rug out from underneath us. We weren't, you know, expecting that. And it was, it was very, very hard. And it was just a few days before Christmas. And, and uh, while I was pregnant with him, I had actually developed a tumor that we could not operate on. 
or else it would have terminated the pregnancy. And so we decided to put that off until after, you know, Elliot was born. So not long after he was born, I had to go into a seven hour surgery to have the tumor removed, which thankfully was benign. But that surgery, uh, especially in conjunction with his death, just, I don't know, it just rocked my world being under anesthesia that long. I felt like my fog was so intense. And then my mother at 57 years old passed away a couple of months later. So you were just all of these things happening at once. And even at work, which was kind of like my dream job, I worked in an industrial environment. And I'm like, how can I go to work every day and feel like, you know, I might hurt somebody because I'm not thinking straight and, and all of these sorts of things. And so I went to my company and I just said, I'm out. Yeah, I can't do it. I'm going to hurt somebody. And thankfully, they were very, very gracious to me at the time, because that would have been such another loss for me. But they said, you're not out. You just need time. Like, mm-hmm. let us let us come alongside you. And so they did. They they got somebody. I was the site manager at the facility where we were at the time. And so they brought somebody else in to take that job. They let me move to part time work and to something that was much less dangerous and people could double check my engineering work. And I wasn't involved in operations anymore, which operations is actually what I love. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but anyways, I went back to more traditional engineering and it was good. I mean, it really gave me some time, but you know, those are kind of our two seasons of just tremendous amounts of Mm -hmm. loss and brokenness. And, you know, I feel like either of those things, probably could have or should have drowned me. And honestly, the first one almost did drown me, mm-hmm. you know, the, the abuse and all of that. When we went into our season of, of grief over our losses of our son and my mom and, and those sorts of things, it was definitely one of the hardest seasons of my life, but I did it in conjunction with my relationship with Christ, the skills we had learned through Celebrate Recovery all those years. And and in our community was so different mm, totally. than what I experienced, you know, when I was going through, not, not only going through the abuse, but especially in the aftermath of it. Um, you know, there were just so many lies swirling around in my head from, you know, Satan and, you know, just uh, there was no clarity after the abuse for years. Uh, but with, with our loss, you know, more recently, I don't want to say there was clarity, but there was hope, you know, there was a better understanding. And, and so that was, it, it was hard, but it was also one of the sweetest seasons of my life. My recovery is some of my sweetest seasons of, of life, you know, what God did in and through those seasons, you know, I don't ever want to go through any of that abuse or loss again, but holy cow, like, I don't know that I could connect with God as intimately in any other way than what happened in those years, you know? And so for that, I am incredibly grateful. Yeah. We're never, we're never grateful for the pain itself, but for the results of pain. So I always say, Lord, uh, while I'm here, uh, let's take advantage of this and help me know you better. I'd love you more. Right. And, re- and receive his love. Um, how did you come to know Jesus? 
Oh man, I was in college. Well, I grew up in a home that we went to church for a while when I was younger. And I remember my first experience with the Holy Spirit. I, I was in fourth grade, but after that, our church life as a family kind of fell apart and things like that. So I, I always had some understanding of who Jesus was, but it, you know, it wasn't really lived out. And frankly, you know, once I experienced the things I experienced in high school, I think I was quite frustrated with him if he did exist, you know, and so yeah, how, how do you keep from blaming God for not protecting you? Well, I wasn't sure I could blame him because I thought it was probably my fault. Okay. So especially with my friend's death, but I was, I was quite frightened of being close to anybody because since that lie was swirling around in my head, that her death was a result of what I did, I was afraid to become closely, you know, related with anybody else. It was hard for me to make friends after that. It was hard for me to get close with anybody because I thought, oh no, something terrible is going to happen to them because of me. And I felt like God was potentially doing that, like trying to discipline me for all the bad things I had done by essentially taking the lives of, of people around me. It was a lie, wow. yeah, but it was a very heavy weight to carry as a young person. How did he come to get out of your life altogether? The abuser? Oh, well, the lie that he told me that my friend died because of what I did. I had an aha moment one day and I thought, well, if the people I love are going to die anyway, then why am I staying here? Because remember, I was staying with him to protect my family. Yes. But I was under this, this belief now that everybody I loved around me was going to start dying anyways. So there was a huge physical altercation uh, between he and I one day. And it, it was the first time I ever physically fought him that way. But I think he realized that I was a completely different person in that moment. He had never seen me that way. And so we got into a, a physical altercation. My parents weren't home and he had actually chased me back to my house and, and into my house. And, and um, I broke his nose and hurt him in some other very private ways. And I went, oh, Haley. <laughs> yeah, I went and locked myself in the bathroom. And as he oh. was trying to break in, I actually snuck out the bathroom window and ran down the street and went and got some help. And so that was but not to say that he didn't try to mess with me after that, but he changed his tactics completely. And so my my abuse ended that mm. day. Wow. Yeah. I'm still surprised he wasn't arrested. Um Maybe because I don't know. Yeah. Um, so you came to know Jesus and you accepted his washing away of sin and a guilt, but then celebrate recovery came later. Yes. Because it took us a while to figure mm -hmm. it out. Yeah. So I ended up coming to a relationship to Jesus in, in college. Mm -hmm. I really, I became a workaholic after all of that, because in my mind, I needed to live out the life that my friend had wanted to live. And she was very academic. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, if she doesn't get to, you know, accomplish all these things and I should. And I honestly, I remember the look on my mom's face when I told her I was pregnant, the disappointment. So I made two promises to myself. 
after the abuse was over. One was that, you know, I would not be a disappointment to anyone again and that nobody would ever hurt me like that again. Both of those things are you know, now I know are are completely within my control, but (laughs) my new workaholic nature, uh, I mean, it really just drove me into the ground and the nobody will ever hurt me really led me to, man, I hurt people so bad, Sue, because if you are protecting yourself from hurt, Mm. you often hurt other people in order to do that. So I became a promiscuous person and I would do things to break off relationships with, with guys long before they could hurt me. So it was almost just like, if I'm in control of it, then you can't hurt me. That mentality. And, you know, but because I was trying to be perfect, and not disappoint anyone, I kept a lot of secrets and lies. (laughs) And so that is exhausting to have the lie upon top of the lie upon top of the lie. And about midpoint through college, you can imagine I had a very rigorous curriculum. I went to Colorado School of Mines. It's a very load. And, and I just started crumbling. And I knew I needed something bigger than me to help me out. And I wanted anything but Christianity. And so I was going all these different places, you know, I was, I I went to a Hindu temple and a Buddhist temple, but one day, bless God for this, I did not have any money to get on any bus to go anywhere. So the only place I could go was within walking distance of our college to a church. Hmm. And so I walked in and they handed me a piece of paper that had Philippians 411 on it. And, you know, that said, I've learned to be content no matter the circumstances. And what that sounded like to me was I've learned to be fine. And I thought, oh, if I could just be fine. Like, I don't even need to be good. I don't need to be great. Great. Mm -hmm. I just want to be fine. Mm -hmm. And so like the studious person that I was, I went to the library, checked out a Bible, and I started (laughs) learning about who wrote that and come to find out Paul wrote it while he was, you know, in prison. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how, why, what does this guy know that I don't? Wow. And it really spurred me on. Now, Celebrate Recovery really came about, though, um, and my love for Jesus was sparked instantaneously. But I will tell you, I think life actually got harder after giving my life to Christ because there were so many things that were convicting, but I was still in my own head, believing a lot of lies. But I was on fire for Jesus. And so that was good. And when I got married several years later, I was at such a sweet spot. And I thought I had dealt with a lot of my abuse at that point. I'd been very honest about my abuse with, you know, my fiance that became my husband. But what I didn't realize is what the level of intimacy that happens in marriage, not even just sexual, but, you know, the whole overall level of intimacy required me to be so much more vulnerable Mm. than I had ever been. And so remember, my job was to protect myself. And all of a sudden I was super vulnerable. 
and I just started having so many triggers and things like that, that were, were very, very painful from the past. So not only was I dealing with it, then my husband was dealing with it. And that was hard for me to bear. I was like, it's one thing for me to deal with this, but for you, this person who has done nothing to me to have to bear this pain, it was, it was a lot. And so that's where Celebrate Recovery came in. Perfect. Um, We need to wrap this up, but I do want to know about what you think your legacy that you want to pass down to those who know and love you. I mean, I can hear it and what you're saying, but Mm -hmm. do you have a simple statement? We are meant for authentic community. And that is a legacy I want to pass down. In my early days of Celebrate Recovery, I had a woman named Pam come alongside me and love me and invest in me and do things for me no human being had ever done. Mm. And um, I would say that she is ultimately what spurred, you know, this, because what she did for me, I, all I've wanted to do then is to be able to pass on that love and authentic community to other people. We are worthy of intimate relationships. Hmm. And that's what I want to share with those who come to me in my business or come to me to be mentored, but even those who are willing to invest their time in me as they mentor me and love me, we are worthy of authentic relationship. And it is such an important aspect of our. I think um, the integrity of your counseling and coaching and just plain old friendship with others comes from the fact that you had to um, experience uh, healing from those times. And, and I think, I mean, I was talking to someone just recently who couldn't, couldn't accept the fact that she'd been gifted something very generously. And I go, no, how come, how come? And I'm sure it has to do with your background, but uh, we didn't get too far into it, but I just said, why can't you just receive it? It's a gift. Everything we have from God is a gift. We're the ones who think, wow, I was pretty good there. So that's why God favored me. No. And we can go into all these philosophical questions. Well, when he favored me, how come he didn't favor my next door neighbor? You right. know, we, we can't really go there. What we can be is an authentic friend for somebody else. It doesn't mean that we all have to go to coaching school. What, and we can allow others to be an authentic friend to us. I think as, as so Christians, true. we're like, oh, it's better to give than receive. Yeah. But you know what? That that second command, first of all, mm-hmm. both, both of the greatest commands are about relationship. Right. That second command is love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. If we don't give ourselves the space to love and be loved, then we're really missing out on a, an aspect of the fullness of Christ that he intended for us. Say that again. If we don't yeah. give ourselves the space to love and be loved then we are missing out on an aspect of the fullness of Christ that he intended for us. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're willing to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins and then move on. But then if we do something really big in our eyes, it's like, we don't think God's sacrifice was enough. Mm-hmm. For us. Yeah. And uh, I'm working with someone who has that feeling right now. And it's like, Lord, it's your word that's going to do the transformation. I can just say it like once a week when we meet, but 
you need to do the transformative work. This has been so powerful today, Haley. Do you want to add anything about displaying God's welcoming, inviting heart to your world? I think it all has to do with authentic (laughs) relationships, but is there something else I've missed? Goodness. Um, Yeah, nothing particularly. I, I don't think, I mean, I could sit here, you know, and talk about this topic forever. It's just so important and it's played such a role in my healing and, um, and in my marriage and the fact that I get to be in other people's lives and see what God's doing, not just in my life, but in the lives of those around us. And it's just such a diverse world. And I mean, the love that he has is not just for people that look like me, sound like me, or the same height as me, the same weight as me. I mean, gosh, it is for every single person that is walking the face of this planet. Mm, Praise God. And what a wonderful place to end our conversation. Folks, um, Haley wrote up something just for you and it's free. Would you describe it for me real quick? Yeah. So it's a five day devotional, which is called generational togetherness. It is really to just inspire and encourage um, just reaching out to older and younger generations. It doesn't matter how old you are. In fact, my story about Pam, there's a little bit of a story in there to share oh, with, with you about our relationship, but it, I, I really hope it just encourages your heart to see how God designed us to all be one together and the benefit and the beauty of reaching out to older and younger generations. And you wouldn't have to do that with a person. This would be a devotional you'd use mm-hmm. by yourself. Okay, great. That's well, you can that share is, with a friend if you want. Oh, even yeah. more fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> even more fun. And so where can people find you? At runtheracetogether.com is the best place to go or on Facebook at Run the Race Together. Run the Race Together, not Haleywood.com. That is correct. But if you want to email me, you can email me at mm. you can go to Haley at or sorry, Haley at runtheracetogether.com. And Haley is H A. L E E Haley at run the race together.com. I would love to chat with anybody who wants to reach out. And if uh, people want to think about being coached by you, do they get a free session at the beginning? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cause I want to make sure that people feel like I'm a good fit for them. And sure. if I'm not a good fit for people, I know lots of great coaches and I'm happy to refer people, but yes, the first session is always free for our couples coaching or for the individual coaching. Mm. Haley, what a wonderful um, resource you've been, really, and a great storyteller, too. So God bless you (laughs) so much. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.